Hey, everybody, just wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, July 25th, 6 p.m. I will be joined by Mike Davis, Faith Nall, and Marco Ariaga for Deadpool and Wolverine. I have a pretty good feeling that this is going to be the biggest movie of the year, and... I'm looking forward to a really fun show. So we got this great lineup. We'll have some prizes. We're getting lots of great puzzle pieces. And who doesn't want to see this movie? So we will see you there again Thursday, July 25th, Maya Cinemas. Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. But today on the show, we're doing something a little bit different because there's a film out in theaters today called Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour. And this is, of course, a filmed concert from her recent Eras Tour, and it is going to just blow away the box office this week. Some people are predicting for like a week or two. I'm predicting this thing is just going to have legs for months and is just going to be the big success story of the year. And so my multi-step prediction is that perhaps, thanks in part to the success of this concert film, we're going to see more concert films get put in theaters. And so joining me to talk about some of our favorite concert films that we would hope to get to see in a theater one of these days, we have... Uh, he's been on the show before, Jason Baroni. He's back. It's been a couple of years since he was on, and it's great to have Jason on. And Jason brought with him a friend, Caleb Quay, Elton John's original guitar player, also performed with Mick Jagger, Hall & Oates, just all these legendary artists. Caleb is an incredibly accomplished musician himself. He's worked with so many amazing people, and he has a jazz fusion band, and he has a documentary out right now called Louder Than Rock. We'll also be talking about his documentary during the conversation. It's an honor to have him here, and we get into a bunch of great concert films and some great stories. So that is coming up. Before we get to it, of course, I got to remind you, make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. We got a lot of episodes on the way. So if you're subscribed, you'll find out about them as soon as they come out. Uh, you could also follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And with that said, let's get to our conversation about all of these awesome concert films. All right, this is going to be a fun one. We've got two great guests to talk about music today, and it's going to be a different kind of episode, but I think we're going to have a lot of fun getting into some classic films anyway. Uh, joining me, we've got Caleb Quay and Jason Baroni. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to get into the topic at hand, but Jason, you haven't been on the show in a while, and Caleb, you're uh, first time here, and I'm so happy to mm -hmm. have you here. Uh, I'd like to get some introductions first for my listeners. Uh, so Jason, tell uh, everybody about you a little bit. Yeah, so I'm currently working as a social media and digital marketing consultant for Caleb. And I'm such a fan of him, too. So uh, what a pleasure to be here. Uh, also with David, which is a, a great friend, too. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, and thank you, uh, Jason, for bringing Caleb to the show. Caleb uh, doesn't really need introduction, but please tell uh, my listeners a little about you and your work. Oh, boy. Well, uh, most people know me as Elton John's original lead guitar player, which is mm -hmm. true. So. Um, but if I was very involved in his career for like the first 10 years of his career. And um, we met each other when we were teenagers. Um, I was the guy that actually changed his name, uh, helped him change his name to Elton John. Right. He wanted to call himself John Elton. And I said, no, that's not going to work. Let's <laughs> try Elton John. And the rest, as you know, is history. Yeah. So uh, that, in a nutshell, is is where I hail from. 
There you go. Absolutely. And it's so funny having someone associated with Elton John here, because I don't know if Jason told you this, but Elton is a uh, a customer of my family's record store here in Las Vegas. So we've oh. known Elton for many years and, uh, you know, he's always been such a... Uh, you know, amazing person when he comes in and he's become quite friendly with my family. So uh, it's it's very cool having you on the show. Oh, great. Yeah. So the, the topic of today's podcast, this is a little different from what we usually do on Piecing It Together. But the thing is, we're recording this right on the eve of Taylor Swift's Eras Tour concert film hitting theaters. And this thing is going to just blow away the box office this weekend and quite possibly for the whole rest of the year, I think I'm predicting it's going to be one of the biggest successes of the rest of the year. Mm. Uh, so I am thinking that between that, between uh, A24 just re-released Talking Heads, uh, 1984, Stop Making Sense, one of the best mm. uh, film concerts ever, uh, I, I'm thinking between these successes, maybe we're going to see more of this stuff, more classic concert films going to theaters, more new concert films going to theaters. So we're going to talk about some of our favorite concert films today. Before we get to our list, though, I do have a kind of spur of the moment question for each of you. Um, and I'd like to start with Jason for this. Uh, and then I also have an answer as well. And then, Caleb, your question is going to be slightly different from each of ours. Okay. Jason, we're, we're going to start off honorable mention up front, but not just an honorable mention of another concert film, but maybe a concert that there isn't a film of that you wish there was. A concert film that you wish existed from like a, a classic tour that you would have loved to have seen filmed and put together into a movie for the big screen. Yeah, I would say in the first place, I would love to see David Bowie live in Glastonbury in 1971. Ooh. Because that was the second edition of the of the festival. And that's when David uh, first came in to play to a very small uh, crowd of hippies at 5 a.m. in the morning to <laughs> promote his new album, uh, Hunky Dory. And... Uh, we now have uh, uh, one of the tracks that were recorded back then uh, available on, on YouTube, which is Changes, and it sounds completely incredible, like no mm -hmm. other uh, version of the song we have ever ever heard before. And I would love to see this the theatrical form. Yeah, that's a great pick and definitely a time of change for him and, uh, you know, a lot going on with his career at that moment. And uh, we obviously have a lot to choose from, uh, from David Bowie's, you know, concert films over the years, but, uh, that would be a really cool one to exist. I will answer the question and then I want to get to, uh, Caleb for me personally, uh, a few years back. Well, I should say a few years. It was about eight years now or something. Uh, I got to see Damien Rice at Madison square garden, right? When, uh, my favorite faded fantasy came out. And to this day, one of my favorite concerts I've ever seen, just him, on an all-black stage, acoustic guitar, uh, just going through his classic songs, but also some new stuff from the album. And it was just so powerful, just the the power of his voice and his playing being captured in that way. I don't know why there's not a Damien Rice concert film. There's a lot of great YouTube footage of his concerts, but there hasn't been one yet, and uh, there really should be. So that's my answer. So I, I want to twist this a little bit, though, for Caleb, because obviously as someone who has been around and played with some of the greats and been a part of so many uh, incredible concerts, is there a concert that you can remember that you wish was on film that you were a part of, that you performed at, that you would think, oh, I wish there was a full-fledged concert film we could just throw the DVD on at any time and watch? Yeah, I would say most probably it's uh, Elton John concert at Earl's Court in, in London in 1976. Wow. That was great. There is there is um, some YouTube footage of it, mm -hmm. but I think what you would see there is most probably Elton at his absolute peak Yeah, of his, of his abilities. You know, we, we were all young. We were all teenagers at the time, <laughs> you know, yeah. in our, in our, uh, uh, early 20s you know so um it was a, it was just a phenomenal concert and plus the the band let's see this is 76 so this was the the new band the big band which he put together in 1975 so by the time we'd hit earl's court we'd already been on tour so the band was very very tight everything 
everything was right, you know, 100%. You know, it yeah. was a phenomenal show. And so I think that would be, uh, for you know, especially for Elton fans, which nowadays span a few generations. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, they would get, they would catch a glimpse of him when his voice was absolutely, you know, pitch perfect, Every everything, performance, everything. The band was on fire, the whole thing. It was, uh, it was a great performance. That's awesome. That's a fantastic answer. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's really interesting. Uh, it, I wanted to ask you that because, you know, obviously you must have performed in, you know, so many of those shows. So to be able to mm -hmm. like pick out a certain, you know, moment in that time, uh, you know, it's really interesting to hear for sure. So with that said, let's get to our lists. So, uh, let's give Caleb the first pick. What is a classic concert film that you love that you would love to get to see on the big screen? Well, I've mentioned, I've got three. One, one of them was Elton John's one, but the, uh, uh, the old school one. The other one would be The Last Waltz by the band. Sure. Uh, I think directed by Martin Scorsese. I think that could... Uh, I think it was released, you know, years ago, back in the 70s or something, but now with technology they could, you know, polish it up, you know, sure. re remix it, remaster it and everything. And Because uh, I think when this came out, this was before surround sound. So I know they could, uh, you know, remix the audio for surround sound. It would be phenomenal. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I actually just watched it the other day. Oh. And, yeah, as far as, like, concert films go i mean of course you've got scorsese directing the thing like yeah it, it like come on like that is like everything you want out of a concert film like yeah, it captures yeah. it all and you get the essence of who those guys were and yeah. you know everybody around them and the story of that moment in time so mm -hmm. yeah it, it, it's fantastic and by the way it is getting like i think it's a one night only thing uh later this month it will be in theaters uh oh, so maybe okay. we're starting to see a little bit of the fallout of this uh oh, well, the whatever the opposite of fallout it is but of this whole taylor swift thing maybe we're going to start seeing some of this happen so i guess maybe if it's going to be coming out then maybe they've already re remixed it i would hope so surround sound yeah i would hope so it, it like you said i mean it came out at a certain time uh where you know some of those technologies weren't available yet so right, uh, if, right, it, if right. it hasn't been it definitely is uh due for that kind of a treatment sure. so I, I would love to see that yeah so, mm -hmm. great pick great pick jason what do you have for your first pick yeah, uh, so my first pick, I would choose Prince, The Earth Tour, 21 Nights in London, mm -hmm. from 2007. Uh, you do have some clips online of this, but uh, I would love to see this uh, in, the, in the big screen, that's for sure. Uh, so Prince performed around 31 songs each day in the span of like 20, 25 days in a row. And uh, according to the Independent UK, uh, he actually performed a total of 50 shows, including uh, to some fans and private shows during that time. So 51 shows in total in 25 days, which is insane. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that is an undertaking for sure. And yeah, I mean, who doesn't want more Prince content, uh, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. on the big screen? <laughs> <laughs> you know it's, a, I mean? it's a winner. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, great pick. Absolutely. Um, so I, I will just preface my picks uh, by saying uh, anyone who knows me and who listens to the show, I, I, I went kind of obvious with my picks uh, with my own music. I always talk about all three of these as uh, major influences for me. So I uh, just know that ahead of time for anybody listening. But my first pick is the Cure Trilogy, which is from 2003, which is kind of a compilation concert of three concerts that took place in Berlin at the Temperdrome, where they played their trilogy of their darkest albums, Pornography, Disintegration, and Blood Flowers, which are three of their best albums. And granted, a uh, 223-minute film uh, in the theaters is kind of a lot, but we're just talking about Scorsese. Um, you know, we're all going to sit for three and a half hours to watch yeah. Killers of the Flower Moon. So why not sit through, uh, you know, that much time of The Cure? They captured all three albums as perfectly as you could hope for. Uh, and it, it, as a fan, they have a lot of concert films, but as a fan, that's like kind of the special one for me because it's capturing those three albums in full, which are such important albums to someone like me. Jason, you're a big uh, Cure fan as well, aren't you? Yes, yes, I am. Uh, I love The Cure, and uh, yeah. I have never seen them live, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of them. 
they'll keep touring forever, so you'll get your chance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Uh, let's go to Caleb's next pick. Um, it will be um, Aretha Franklin, "Amazing Grace." Ooh, nice. Yeah, and it's uh, this was. I, I'm not sure what year this was filmed. I'm going to assume this was filmed most probably around late 60s, 68, 69, somewhere around there. She's much younger, and uh, it's basically a, a gospel church service, which mm. is so it's, it's her going back to her roots with the, the James Cleveland uh, Gospel Choir. Uh, that's the choir, actually, we worked with at Dodger Stadium when I was with Elton. Oh, nice. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, Mick Jagger's in the audience, you know. I mean, it, and she was just amazing. And I think when you when you see her back then, which, again, she was younger, she was in her prime, you know, as an artist, as a singer, and you can see where all this talent came from. And uh, just as a side note, uh, back in the, um, oh, in the 70s, I was doing a session at uh, the record plant out here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were like three studios in the, in the, the, the complex, you know. And um, we were taking a break in this session I was doing and somebody stuck their head in the door and they said, hey guys, Aretha Franklin, she's just down the, across the road recording uh, in studio two. I said, mm. what? So I shot down there and I snuck in the back door. <laughs> <laughs> because I'd heard stories about about how she would record, you know, she was, I mean, not only she was obviously incredibly talented, but she was a, perf a perfectionist, and she never did anything, she never did any more than two takes on her vocals. Wow. Plus, she always sat at the piano and sang and did her vocals live. She was an incredible piano player and sang and did her vocals live. So I snuck in at the back of the studio and quietly closed the door and just sat down and watched. And she's got other musicians around her and everything, you know, great musicians. And she's she's doing her stuff, you know. Sure enough, take two, that was it, done. And it was like unbelievable. And I just sat there going, oh, my God, this is this is where the bar is at, right up here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was an amazing experience to just sit there and watch this legend at work. It was just just phenomenal. Yeah, that that's just witnessing raw power right there. Just oh, absolutely, amazing. yeah. And so I've never forgotten it. And so um, now this this movie has has uh, been. I think it's available on YouTube. But again, mm -hmm. I think for with today's technology to put it on the big screen, remix it for surround sound and everything, I would just blow everybody away. Just amazing. Absolutely great pick. Yeah, uh, and uh, also you, you guys are two fine musicians here, and I'm just a fan. I just appreciate music without understanding all of this. So for for the rest of us here, we, I, I can't even think of Aretha uh, recording in the studio because, of course, the, the whole thing ships uh, uh, to the public ready to to listen. So uh, mm. it seems like, just like magic uh yeah. for, for someone like me and uh, to think about listening her voice recording live uh up to two takes max uh um, it's unbelievable yeah. yeah it really is yeah no she was something yeah incredible stuff yeah it's funny you say that jason like there's certain songs certain artists that like you think about like those songs were just always there like mm -hmm. there couldn't have been a recording process. Like they just, they were always in the ether, you know what I mean? And like those performances <laughs> exactly. seem like they always just existed, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's crazy yeah. to think that people were around for those recordings, you know? Uh, but yeah, that's great. Uh, what do you have next, Jason? Yeah. Uh, so for my next one, I would love to see Queen live in Rock in Rio, 1985. Uh, we do, we did have this streamed back then. Uh, when the sh when the concert happened, but uh, I couldn't see this because I wasn't alive yet, so uh, it's <laughs> totally not in the cards for me at all. So I, I would love to see this in the big screen nowadays. And this is a very legendary show for them uh, because they had more than three hundred thousand people at the show, not in the overall festival, but at the show at the time. And uh, Roger Taylor even said that was the, their biggest crowd ever, at least at the time by them. 
also uh this show was very uh got very famous because of the um love of my life performance that you also can see in bohemian rhapsody uh i know people are not very fond of this movie at all but uh at least they captured uh the the spirit of the performance and and Mm -hmm. uh playing with the audience and and all the love it was it must have been insane that's for sure yeah Definitely. Those concert scenes are incredible in that movie, uh, regardless of what anyone thinks about the rest of the movie. But yeah, um, yeah I, you know, it's funny about that pick and it's a great pick. I feel like, you know, we, we've got this Taylor Swift one, which is why we're here today. And we've got this Beyonce one coming later this year. Uh, I feel like Queen Rock and Rio is like a perfect third big release like this. It's like such a mainstream like it would people would attend it in droves i feel like if they put that in the theater i think it would be a huge hit yeah yeah you know if i could just say something about the the uh, bohemian rhapsody movie Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i saw that and i thought i thought it was great but you know what i was really thought was good a couple of things uh, hats off to brian may who actually gave guitar lessons to the guy that played his part in, in, in that movie. Mm-hmm. And also, I thought they did a great job of reproducing um, the stage sound, festival sound, if you like, yeah, to a movie. I sat there with my wife, and I'm, go- I'm going, that is what, because what, it, it reminded me of shows I did without, you know, sure. stadiums and stuff, you know. And there's a certain sound, you know, it, it, it ain't a club. It's not like any other <laughs> venue, you know. It's yeah. um, it's hard to describe, but they they captured that in that movie. I thought they did that really well. Yeah, no, I completely. I I, I yeah. think that that those concert scenes were definitely the best things in that movie. Oh, yeah. And they, mm-hmm. uh, it really was just visceral. It made you like feel like you were on that stage with them. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. They did a good job on that. Yeah. Also, the actor uh, who plays uh, Brian May uh, looks just like him. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was I, great. I, I, I don't yeah. know uh, which was the magic that they did to to select this guy, but um, uh, it feels like they they uh, traveled to the past and and got him back to nowadays mm-hmm. to shoot the movie because they are very similar to one another. Yeah, that no, was good casting, and um, yeah, I was I was pleased. Uh, you know, I was really pleased with it. I saw, I was very impressed, especially as you say with the concert footage. Was it Live Aid, the, the Live Aid yeah. uh, thing that they did? They yeah. they caught it, you know. They absolutely caught it, you know. Definitely. Definitely. So I will go uh, for my next one. To, continuing with my obvious choices, I'm going with Depeche Mode 101 from 1989, D.A. Pennebaker. Uh, an incredible part concert film, part documentary about the band and their fans at that moment in time. Uh, the concert footage, just incredible, capturing them like at their biggest, like at the moment when they had kind of just taken over the world with that music. Uh, And then the documentary stuff is all like really fun to watch, really interesting characters, both them themselves, the band members, but also their fans who they follow around backstage and like on tour and stuff like that. Uh, A really fun documentary with great performances and also shout out to the Rock Docs podcast, who actually had me on earlier this year to talk at length for like an hour just about that uh, documentary. There's plenty to get into with that film, uh, so anybody listening should check that out. Um, but yeah, great, great one, and uh, definitely recommend it if you haven't seen it. So that's my second pick. And Caleb, I know you said Elton was your actual first pick, so you've done your three. So Jason, let's go to your third. Yeah, uh, also I could have picked tons of Elton's shows because I'm such a fan of him and, of course, the band too. But I didn't want to bring more options uh, here to the table since Caleb already uh, spoke about one of uh, their finest shows. But I would bring Michael Jackson's This Is It again. But, uh, uh, of course, we did see this movie in theaters when it was available. And it's more of a documentary with some snippets in search of the rehearsals. And I would love to see a, cons- a concert version of that. Of course, we, we haven't seen, uh, we, we didn't have the opportunity to see the first show even. But uh, I think they could have edited it uh, to look like a show, even though it's, uh, we would have footage from the rehearsals. So I'd love to see that. 
as a whole concert. Yeah, I, I did see that in theaters as well, and it was fantastic at the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know that with all of these concert films, they shoot so much footage to edit sure. something together. Like, there must be so much more footage of him that they could have possibly turned it into, like, you know, a pseudo-concert kind of experience. So uh, I, I feel like you're right there. And yeah, it's a, it's a great pick. Um, any, uh, were you a fan of uh, Michael, Caleb? Oh yeah, the guy was brilliant. Absolutely, I, I agree with, with with what Jason said. Yeah, I'm sure there's uh, a bunch of footage there. You know, in fact, uh, I think she's in that movie at that time, just before he passed away. Yeah, he was working with a singer, Judith Hill. Yeah, I think you're right. Asian, yeah. Asian-looking, African-American. But well, I know mm-hmm. Judith very well, oh. and um, her father plays bass in my band, my jazz group, and Judith nice. sings a song at the end of, of my movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. Know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's her. Right on. So she was, and, and at that time, she, you know, Michael really, really was impressed with her talent, and he was planning to, you know, show her to the world, you know, but then yeah. he passed away. Yeah. I know he was uh, hoping to develop new artists at that time, and that yeah. was like a big she thing. was one. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll go to my last pick, uh, which is Nine Inch Nails' Beside You in Time from 2006, Um, an incredible visual concert film. I mean, that is a band that has always had incredible visuals as part of what they do, and you don't even necessarily see them that much. There's just so many lights going off and so (laughs) many, uh, you know, interesting things happening on screens, but especially like put this thing in IMAX or something like that, it would be a hell of an experience. That's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think we have a great list of concert films, and it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, with this Taylor Swift, with the Beyonce, like, is this going to be a thing? I, I really do think it could be. I, I feel like, you know, obviously theaters are hurting and uh, looking for ways to get people out. I think that that is, uh, you know, a way to make that happen. I do want to get into Louder Than Rock in a minute, which is Caleb's new documentary. But first, I want to mention some listener suggestions from my Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, as well as the Headphones and Microphones Music Facebook group. So I got some suggestions from those two groups. Uh, Matt Stillman mentioned U2's current Sphere residency here in Las Vegas, uh, which... I'm sure, you know, a lot of people aren't going to be tra- able to travel to Las Vegas to see what they yeah. cooked up there. So that would be an interesting one for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Hatcher mentioned BTS Love Yourself, which I, I'm not familiar with their music, but um, I know people love them. And I think that was in theaters. So, you know, definitely, uh, you know, a good pick. Tony Strauss mentioned Erg, A Music War, which I had never seen. And I just watched the other night and is so good, like of that that very specific moment in the new wave scene. Uh, you, you get all those bands from that moment in time and uh, a great concert film. Um, he also mentioned Woodstock and Styx. Kilroy was here. Uh, and the song remains the same, which another fantastic yeah, one. Eric Upright mentioned Chuck Berry, James Browns, and Pink Floyd live at Pompeii. Oh, um, yeah. oh wow. Yeah, I'm not sure which specific uh, on the Chuck Berry and the James Brown ones, but Pink Floyd Live in Pompeii is a great one. Um, yeah. And I'm sure there's some incredible concert films from Chuck Berry and James Brown. There must be tons. Mm-hmm. My friend Marcus Malazzo mentioned Leibach, Divided States of America, which is an industrial band. Even he admitted is pretty you know, obscure, probably wouldn't happen, but uh, <laughs> interesting pick. Uh, Chad Clinton Freeman mentioned Michael Jackson, This Is It, so just like Jason. Um, also Britney Spears and uh, also Ariana Grande, the Netflix special that they put out, and Billie Eilish, the Apple special that they put out. So those were recent ones that um, haven't pick. had theatrical. Yeah. And then uh, Trent Freeman mentioned ABBA, the movie, uh, which ABBA and movie theaters go hand in hand. So why not? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a bunch, a bunch of other uh, picks to, to throw into the list there. So I want to talk about Louder Than Rock, Caleb's new documentary. Um, I, I feel like, you know, no one could describe it better than you, Caleb. So why don't you tell my <laughs> listeners about it if they haven't seen it yet? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's a documentary. It's autobiographical. So it's basically, it's the story of my life. You know, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of difficult to talk about yourself. 
you know, but uh, I lived a life that um, I was born into music. Yeah. Uh, my father was a professional musician and he was, you know, very uh, well known, successful at that time. So, uh, and his friends were some of the most famous jazz musicians in the world. And so that's the, that's the context I was born into and was very privileged to hear jam sessions in our house when I was a kid with, you know, some of the greatest musicians and singers in the world, you know, at oh, that yeah. time. Because my father would work with them and would open shows for them when they came to, to the UK when they were touring. So Dizzy Gillespie was bouncing me on his knees when I was four years old while he's blowing his <laughs> trumpet and stuff like that. <laughs> All these people. You know, Charlie Parker was a good friend of my dad's and Django Reinhardt, just phenomenal musicianship. So um, that's all I ever wanted to do. Like most kids wanted to be like their fathers, you know. Yeah. But um, along part of that journey, the whole drug thing came in, you know, a lot of the jazz musicians. So there's so grew up surrounded by a lot of that damage. And I went down that road myself. You know, when I became a teenager and ran out of school and said, you know what, I'm going to be a musician like my dad, you know. So it's a story of overcoming a lot of damage, being driven by by damage, uh, being driven by hatred toward my father because he left us when I was 12 years old, mm. right at the time when a young boy would meet his father, you know. And so... It, it's a story of how sometimes, you know, we can be even driven to success by damage. Sure. You know, and so that was my story. And, um, and how I overcame that was simply uh, by coming to terms with the reality of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was the turnaround. That was in 1982. If that had not have happened, I would have flamed out and just become a statistic mm. like many other you know, rock and roll and musicians that have gone on before me, and some that I even knew. So um, I'm very thankful for that because if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. I can tell you that, you know. So I'm very thankful. And so it's a story of, of hope, of redemption, but it also has a historical component to it because it shows clips of and interviews of, of certain things that I've been involved with which have now become part of music history. Sure. And no. um, so I'm proud of those accomplishments, you know, with Elton and other people. But I'm also very thankful to be alive, to be able to tell it. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, especially in now today's world, uh, where there's so much hopelessness and being able to point people toward the fact that we can have hope. We yeah. can live hopeful lives as opposed to hopeless Lives. Yeah, I wanted to ask you because like it feels like, you know, at least for the first section of the film, that contentious relationship with your dad is kind of the driving factor of your yeah. life and career. Yeah. And so in that time, did you look at other artists, other, uh, you know, musicians who were kind of dealing with similar struggles and like kind of see a camaraderie there because you know we we see a lot of documentaries about you know all mm -hmm. the famous musicians and a lot of the times there are you know these kinds of contentious uh, relationships with family members so i was wondering yeah. if you commiserated there you know oh sure yeah you know it's like misery misery loves company sure <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> so absolutely you know and uh, well in fact you know elton and myself you know we we met when we were teenagers I was 15, he was 16, and we both hated our fathers. We both had the same thing, you know. So we used to talk about it, you know. Yeah, I hate him. Okay, let's get on with the music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we just get on with life, you know. But those things don't, you know, they don't, that doesn't just die away, you know. So I deal with the issue of forgiveness in the movie and stuff like that. And, you know, the responses we've had to the movie have been absolutely incredible. People's lives have been touched and people have been turned toward, you know, having to deal with the issue of forgiveness uh, with their own uh, parents and, and or various authority figures in their lives that have caused them damage. You know? Yeah. 
It's sometimes the, uh, the, the hardest relationships I think uh, a lot of people go through is family. So. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's, been, it's been good. You know, it's, it's, I'm just privileged to be able to, you know, tell the story. Um, Valerie Tucker, the, uh, who directed the movie, she did an amazing job. She's won nine Emmys for documentaries. And uh, so she's a great storyteller, and the way she she was able to tell the story, I think, was is really good. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it connects with a lot of people. Absolutely, yeah. I think there's a lot of threads to kind of balance here, and she does a great yeah. job of that because there's yeah. the story with your with your dad, but then the story mm-hmm. of collaborating with Elton John to the yeah. story of your own musicianship and your you know all the other artists you worked with and yeah. uh, you know religion later on in life. Yeah, there, there's a lot of different things that all have to kind of come together, and she does mm-hmm. a great job of that. Yeah, I feel like you know the trajectory of you know, starting with, with Elton and then, you know, going on to bigger and bigger projects with him and then working with these other legendary artists along the way. Did you feel like your career was just a constant, like, uh, you know, going upwards or did you feel like it was lots of waves up and down along the way? Because, you know, you worked on so many different things along that path. Yeah, it's a good question. I would say there were waves up and down. It was Mm -hmm. generally going up, but there were, there were, (laughs) Kind of like this. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there were waves going up, you know. <laughs> I guess kind of like a dolphin, a dolphin swimming underwater. In order sure. to get to the surface, he's got to encounter some turbulence along the way. Yeah, that's a good metaphor. That could uh, get for some song lyrics or something. But uh, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's really funny, uh, you know, when you and your dad do, you know, have your reconnection and then you end up buying weed off of him, which, yeah. you know, spoiler alert, but, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it's a funny turn of events. And I was just wondering, like, you know, where did things head after, you know, we kind of leave you guys relationship in the, uh, in the documentary? Well, um, it was blank for a while until after, uh, I was about to get married mm-hmm. to my, my current wife and, we were attending um, a pre-marriage counseling session at our church. So mm-hmm. I'd become a Christian, we're, you know, I'm, I'm in the Word and everything and following the faith, and it was like time to get married. So the last session, it was the last session in our marriage counseling thing was on the issue of forgiveness. Mm. So that's where I came to forgive my father after I've heard this. And I don't want to give the whole thing away because it's, it's – uh, part of the movie but sure. uh, then after that then i had to i wrote him a letter telling him that i'd forgiven him mm-hmm. told him i'd become a christian and i'd forgiven him for all the hell he created in our house and everything you know and then i never heard anything sent the letter off never heard anything for 10 years hmm. and then he gets in touch with me after 10 years and he had a, he always had a sense of humor you know, and, and, he, sure. and the first thing he said on the phone, he said, oh, by the way, I, I got your letter, like as if he got it last week. You know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so that's where it picked back up into mm. incredible reconciliation. I mean, and I'm not going to say any more. You've got to go see the movie, folks. Sure. You know? But uh, just an incredible full circle um, icing on the cake. Yeah. Reconciliation with my dad before he died back in 2000. Yeah. So I, obviously you've worked with, you know, you know, so many legendary artists, um, but mm-hmm. it, it feels like your story ties in with Elton John, you know, most of all. And, are, you know, mm-hmm. how are you guys, you know, lately, are you guys still good friends after all these years? That's a good question. Uh, the only way I can describe it is he lives in another orbit. Mm-hmm. Being Sir Elton John and all the stuff, you know, he lives in a whole, whole other orbit, you know. Yeah. Uh, with me, I do, you know, I'm technically semi-retired. I'm speaking to you from my little studio at home where I do sessions here and, you know, send tracks out online and what have you, you know, but um, and I've got my little jazz group, and on Sundays you'll find me in church. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's a completely different, completely yeah. different lifestyle, you know. Yeah. Sure. I, I was wondering, are there any current artists that like really inspire you? I mean, obviously uh, the one who was uh, on your documentary there in that closing song, but any uh, any other recent oh, artists? Oh, I love um, I like listening to Snarky Puppy. 
Oh, yeah. All right. Cool. Love it. Snarky puppy. Great musicianship. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still into, into some jazz stuff, you know, um, jazz and classical music. But yeah, Snarky Puppy, I really like. I like their guitar player, Mark Letiri. Mm-hmm. Is his name, Mark Letiri. And he has his own project as well on the side. Really, really, really cool guitar player. Yeah. Um, I like listening to him. In my, in my mind, he's what I would call a complete guitar player. So, you know, that brings up another question. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously, working with all these artists, you've worked in a, a variety of genres. Um, yeah. Would you say jazz is your, your favorite genre to either listen to or create in? Kind of jazz, blues. It's a fusion. It's a, fu- mm-hmm. I'm a fusion guy. So it's jazz, rock, blues. I tend to bluesify everything I play. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> I love flamenco music. Okay. You know, there's a guitar player I'm listening to these days. His name, he's like the hot stuff in Spain. His name is Antonio Rey, R-E-Y. Absolutely incredible. He was a student of Paco de Lucia, and he took all that stuff and put it on steroids, and it's just incredible what he does on the nylon string guitar. Yeah. It's just not fair. (laughs) <laughs> you know you sit there and watch you go i know what he's doing but i can't get there because the guy has enormous hands yeah. and it's just amazing so i love listening to him it's just like stop the let's just stop the world a second and let's listen to nylon string truth coming out here you know amazing wow. guy, amazing musician there's there's live you know clips on youtube and stuff of him yeah playing live just mind-blowing on no effects just a microphone in front of the nylon string guitar just devastating amazing yeah were there any uh any stories you didn't get a chance to like dig into with the documentary that you would maybe uh you know want to recall later on down the road and you know other media or something like that you know i always I, i like telling students sometimes um my story of my encounter with wes montgomery when I was 18 years old. So that was back in 1967, January of 1967. Wes Montgomery came uh, to the UK. And I'd heard him play. I'd heard some of his recordings. And uh, a friend of mine who was a photographer, a jazz photographer for, uh, you know, magazines and stuff, Downbeat and what have you, uh, she said, uh, oh, I have an extra ticket for Ronnie Scott's club. Where's Montgomery's in town? I thought you might like to go see him. I said, oh, yeah, okay, great. So I had the opportunity to sit in the original Ronnie Scott's club back then. It's since moved to another part of London. But the original place, it was just a small club. And we were sat at a table at the front. Literally, I was 10 feet in front of this genius Mm. watching this man. do his thing on the guitar, and it was life-changing. And at that yeah. time, I was 18. I was a, one of the new kids on the block in studios in London, you know, doing session work, making a name for myself and everything. And I watched this guy, and it was just like, you know, Picasso on the guitar. Yeah. It was just absolute musical perfection. This guy, no showboating, no effects, just a guitar and an amp and a trio, just playing this gorgeous music, you know. And so then when he finished his set, he went backstage. And so my friend, she said, would you like to go and meet him? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to meet this guy, you know. So I go back and he's in the middle of a conversation with four other people. I don't know if they were agents. They looked like, you know, business people, what have you, you know. So she... Goes up there, she introduces me to him. She already Eddie already knew him. She said, uh, where's I'd like you to meet? Uh, this is Caleb. He's one of the new um, studio studio guys in town, you know. So he turns to me and he's holding his guitar. He's just come off the platform. He's holding his guitar. And he says, let me just finish talking with these guys. He says, here, hold, can you hold my guitar for me? So I grab hold of his guitar. I'm holding the neck like this. And the neck is hot. Mm-hmm. He'd been playing it, you know. It, it was it was hot, wow. and I'm, I, here I am, this eighteen year old kid holding this genius's guitar, and the, all I can tell you is something got 
put into me from holding his guitar. That's magic. And it, the whole thing that whole that night changed my life as a guitar player. You know, because I heard I was hearing this incredible lyricism coming out of his playing. It was just effortless. You know, wow. It wasn't just the octave thing. It was everything else. You know, plus he wasn't playing with a pick either. He yeah. had these huge hands. It was just like. It was crazy, you know, but I heard this lyricism, this language, this flowing, beautiful singing lyricism. And that was, that started me as a, as a guitar player on a journey for the rest of my life to try and capture some of this to be as lyrical as I possibly could, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was it, 18 years old, divine appointment. Hey, that that inspiration right there like that is you know that's what this podcast is all about with movies but you know yeah. hearing about it in the world of music is yeah uh, yeah yeah is awesome. yeah yeah that's great it gets passed on you know and hopefully you're in the right spot at the right time you know definitely and he he where's montgomery he was 40 years old and he died six months later that year oh wow yeah i was blown away yeah being there at the right moment that's absolutely that's yeah Jason, you, you've worked with Caleb for a while now. Is there a question, just to wrap this up, that you've maybe been curious about with, with Caleb? Anything that you wanted to ask him? Oh, my God. I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> Neither was I. <laughs> oh, okay. can you imagine this? Yes. Um, a question. Well, uh, not a, at the top of my head, no. Mm -hmm. uh, because like I always say to him and to uh, many people who, who talk to us, um, working with Caleb and um, helping him to promote his uh, very fine movie, his uh, story, it's like a privilege. feels like a privilege mm -hmm. to me. So most of the time I, I sit here and just admire uh, his persona even more, not, not only as a musician, but as a, as a man with, with a, a, a very genuine mission to accomplish. And this mission is to, to touch people's lives somehow, in some way. And so I, I spend most of, of my time amazed by what this man brings to the table. And um, yeah. on Louder Than Rock itself, it's very funny because uh, the tagline for the movie is, you'll know his music and now uh, you, you will know his name. Mm -hmm. And I think this is very accurate because uh, most of the time we, we, of course, look at the uh, main artist of a band which uh, name comes from the the artist life and and the name he makes especially Elton's name which has had a, an influence from Caleb and uh, we, we don't look at the band most of the time right right so uh, more recently Andrew Watt uh, who produced Elton and Britney's uh, latest single "Hold Me Closer." He had this interview. I think it was uh, on on Apple Music for Apple Music mm -hmm. or something like that. And he said, "Oh, the first thing that I that I noticed when uh, mixing and matching uh, older songs, especially Tiny Dancer, was this genius riff, guitar riff that you hear uh, on "Hold Me Closer." Sure. As soon as the the song starts, and this is from Caleb." Yeah. Right, and it's an amazing guitar riff. It's really cool. And uh, this, I mean, if you are not uh, a musician or someone that is not paying close attention to the instruments of the of Time Dancer, for for example, you you may not hear this properly. And when you hear uh, "Hold Me Closer," uh, the the guitar riff starts the whole thing, and it it's just a, a snippet of how. Uh, how incredible this musician is, this guy is, and has always been. Absolutely. I, I think it's a really great point. And yeah, I mean, we, we see these documentaries all the time about these, these uh, you know, famous front men and, you know, the band name, you know, whatever the, the name is on the band. But there's such a rich history to dig into with any artist, any of the, the artists whose uh, concerts we mentioned in our picks. They all have like incredible lead guitar players or even drummers or bassists like that, you know, you could really dig into and get into their stories as well. And this is, uh, you know, a really great example of that here with Caleb and with Louder Than Rock. So 
Uh, I think it's a really great point, Jason. Uh, I want to ask both of you real quick, and then we'll wrap it up, because, uh, you know, obviously on the uh, episode image, it's going to be a big picture of Taylor Swift, because that's what brought us here today. We barely talked about Taylor Swift herself. Are we are we fans of Taylor Swift? I personally like a lot of her music, and I have my tickets ready for the movie next week, so I'm looking forward to it. You know, I'm not familiar with most of her music, but I, mm-hmm. I will say she she's obviously very, she's very talented, mm-hmm. um, very smart, too smart sure. she's she's got some business acumen going on there i don't quite understand what her kind of overall message is in in the music she's doing mm. but she's obviously you know making a you know has made a huge impact on culture yeah so my hat's off to her here you know absolutely what about you jason yeah, I do. I do like her music. Uh, it's not my style most of the time, but I would love mm-hmm. to see her uh, on rock music, for example. Uh, what could she bring to the table uh, yeah. when when she tried new things or new genres, for example? But uh, yeah, I, I think she's great. Uh, most of my friends nowadays know her and love her to death. And uh, when an artist comes uh, this popular, I think it's not only because uh, they they have something to say, but because they do inspire people. So sure. I think she she she's a great great artist overall. Awesome, awesome. Well, Caleb, again, tell people where they could find the documentary and all of the music that you're up to right now. Oh, the documentary is available on Amazon, Amazon Prime, Tubi. Plex, and soon to be on the CW network. Very and now cool, we're very trying cool. to we're trying to get it in theaters. As it should be, definitely. Uh, Jason, anything you want to plug? Oh yeah, uh, I just want to drop something that I was thinking about. Uh, not a promise at all, but um, maybe since you are both musicians, some someday I can hear a collaboration in between you guys. So oh, I would love okay. to do this. <laughs> Oh, I, I would be honored. Uh, but uh, Caleb, maybe we could chat about that sometime. That sure, awesome. yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. awesome, guys. Thank you so much for doing the show. Uh, I think this was a really fun conversation. We got into a lot of great stuff about both Louder Than Rock and about all these other uh, concert films. So again, thank you both for being here. Hi, this is Wax Tracks Records here on 2909 South Decatur. We buy all your old 45s, your old albums, any type of music memorabilia. Also, we sell music memorabilia, albums, CDs, and a lot. Come on down to Wax Tracks, 2909 South Decatur, or give me a call at 702-362-4300. Thank you very much. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much to Caleb Quay for joining me on that one. That was awesome. And thank you to Jason Baroni for joining me as well, but also for helping set that up. It was a great time, and uh, hopefully my predictions hold steady. And thanks to this gigantic Taylor Swift concert, as well as the Stop Making Sense concert, we will start seeing more of these concert films coming out in theaters. I mean... We certainly know that the theater business needs ways to get people out. So hopefully it works and hopefully we'll see more concerts in the movie theater because I love going to the theater to watch movie concerts. But that is it for today. If you're enjoying Piecing It Together, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. You can join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And don't forget, we do have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, from Awesome Movie Year, and from my music career. We've covered a uh, bunch of great concert films over on Awesome Movie Year, by the way, so check that out. But uh, also, over on the Patreon, uh, I do have a brand new soundtrack album called Jacqueline, which is kind of a companion piece to my new official soundtrack album, Blind Malice, that just came out last week, uh, both from the same director, Chris Johnson, uh, two very and not, not so different in tone because they're both horror movies, but different scores. And so it was very uh, cool to work on both of them. And I felt like I would put one out as an official release, one as an exclusive, but uh, they're both, I think, worth checking out. So you can find that on the Patreon and you can find Blind Malice anywhere you listen to music. 
Also, uh, tonight, if you happen to be listening to this right when it goes up, tonight, Friday, October 13th, Friday the 13th, I actually have a music video from Blind Malice that is premiering at 8 p.m. Pacific time during my buddy Chad's The Ham Show over on YouTube. Uh, I mentioned the uh, Headphones and Microphones Facebook group earlier in the conversation. That is his group and that is his live stream show. And so you should check that out over on YouTube and you'll get to see my new music video, Blind Malice, the theme uh, tonight, 8 p.m. And there'll be a link in the show notes. And uh, yeah. I'm going to close this out with a piece of music, as I always do, and, uh, you know, I'm going to actually, because we're talking music today, and I'm excited about music today, I'm going to give you a little preview of a piece of music that will be coming out next year. I'm working tirelessly on a whole bunch of new music to release in 2024. I'll be announcing those plans very, very soon, Uh, but this is a track called Afterglow, and uh, it's a 99% 99% done. I think it might be 100% done, but I hope you enjoy it. Uh, this will be out next year, along with a whole lot of other music. So uh, enjoy it, and we'll be back with more piecing it together real soon.
An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas. We are thrilled to be official sponsors of the Queer Women of Color Film Festival this year. They will premiere 44 films and five screenings at the free 20th Annual International Queer Women of Color Film Festival happening from June 14th through 16th, 2024. This year's theme, Joyful Reunion, celebrates deep human connections and transformative visions, drawing on indigenous knowledge, shared ecology and queer realities these films explore the dynamic tides of love self-fulfillment and home upholding their long-standing commitment to disability justice queer women of color media arts project ensures inclusivity with subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing audio descriptions for the blind and low vision and asl interpretations for all screenings Join us in supporting these incredible artists and enjoy a lineup of thought-provoking films, engaging panels, and vibrant community events. Whether you're a film enthusiast, an ally, or simply curious, there's something for everyone at the Queer Women of Color Film Festival. Mark your calendar for June 14th through 16th, 2024, and get ready to be moved, inspired, and entertained. For more details and to reserve your free tickets, visit qwocmap.org. That's Queer Women of Color Media Arts Project, qwocmap.org. Let's come together to celebrate diversity and storytelling at its finest.